out here trying to be an asset and not a liability. Well, I mean, if you learned any lessons from last week's episode, I would probably maybe not do Tinder premium. Mm, yeah, actually. Um, maybe meet a nice guy at a grocery store or something. I don't I, know. You know, it's funny you say that because I did actually meet a guy at a grocery store. Super nice, right? Until, you know what? Until he wasn't. What happened? I just want to keep it there. Well, <laughs> you can't like just spit a yard and then not fucking. This is like it's super inappropriate. Well, don't say any names. It's spicy. It's just super spicy. Say it. Okay, so he was like, <laughs> we were like talking, whatever, like Hannah hanging out, and like every time he would come over, like he would incessantly be trying to like have sex, and well, that is one <clears throat> thing you do when you. You know, no, come like over. incessantly. Like if I like didn't want to, like whatever. Like I'm a fucking person, okay? I work. I'm tired. I'm not a piece of meat. I'm not a fucking piece of meat. And um, still, like the one night, uh, I was like, no, like I'm going to bed. Leave me alone. He's pissing me off. Um, and then he just like was like jerking off next to me, and like we had only been talking for like. A couple weeks, and I know, I know when you're the like, side eye I know when it. you're like in a relation, like it's different, right? But like, sometimes you just gotta go to bed. Dude, I barely knew this guy, and he's like fucking touching his pee pee next to me. Well, anyways, I was like pissed, so I fucking kicked him out of That's my house. The normal fucking reaction, I'm assuming, if a dude starts jerking off next to you, dude, I was so uncomfortable, and so I kicked him out of my house, and. Um, then I saw him at Walmart like a month ago and he slid into my DMs, of course. Um, yeah. So that's what happens when you meet men at grocery stores and you know what? I have never had that experience from a Tinder premium man. I've had other worse experiences, but never that one. I mean, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I mean, it's not great. (laughs) It's not great. Never meet a man in the wine section. (laughs) Well, that's your problem. <laughs> what do you mean? I was thinking like, you know, where you're checking out. Mm, that's like a romantic. And you both reach for the same pack of chewing gum or some <laughs> yeah. shit. Well, he and actually like, checked out. Later? Is he a red or a white? I don't remember. He checked out, <laughs> went out to the parking lot and came back in and asked for my number. He's like, I just couldn't go without getting your number. He didn't like put out a personal ad on Craigslist. <laughs> no. To the blind girl that was... Shopping wine next to me. <laughs> I would have never seen it. It's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. I love it. But anyway, you guys, welcome to Creeps in the Crypt. As always, I am Eric and I am joined by Christian and Bailey. Um, so a little bit of crypt keeping. Thank you to all the listeners that have reached out to me personally and reached out to our page. Um if you didn't know, my brother has passed away and he was our editor on the show and an integral part of the show. He set up both times we did studios. So he set up the studio, the old studio, and he set up this studio. So um, shout out to Jeff Whitener. You will be sincerely missed by everyone on the show. And now to not be a just a total drag. Uh, 
thank you guys for all the downloads recently. You Is guys it are cool. Yeah, you guys are really vibing with. Uh, we're we're doing some some cool serial killer shit early on. We're gonna we're gonna kind of refocus shit more towards like big hitter true crime serial killers for a while. So and there's gonna be some fun cryptids and urban legends and all sorts of good stuff like that. But we want to get really into this true crime. So this month we have a cult coming up. Sex cult. Um, Woo! My favorite. Yeah. This episode has been written <clears throat> for like two years now. The um, one today. Yeah, the, this week's episode has been written for like two years, and it keeps getting pushed back every year because of just other shit. I was like, we're doing it now. So we're getting into some mob shit. Now, Christian swears I have ruined italian opera for her I, because I of a, this episode i have a big love if you want to know some personal shit i actually really enjoy opera and i love italian opera i don't care if i can't understand what the fuck they're saying it's pretty and it makes me happy and uh there is an opera that i really really love and it's turned on and it is uh there is a finale that i really really love and is very building and Eric showed me the video of the... Uh, There's a movie yes. about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And he so, timed it perfectly where he showed me the video. And fucking there's the, amazing. You know, the crescendo of like just <laughs> fucking everything. And it's like just, them all fucking getting just... So you. he like Wizard of Oz, Dark Side of the Moon to you. Basically. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Yeah, the Italian was, opera. I'm really good at doing shit like that. And that's crazy. Really I can fuck up a wet dream. Have not listened to <laughs> Turnadot finale since then. Haven't been able to since he showed me that, and I was like, "You." And then it was like just the way that he timed it. You didn't even do it like on purpose. He just timed it out perfectly. I just and pulled it was, up the video, and it just like right when it was like at the a full build of everything. Is this when everybody's just getting absolutely just obliterated? And I was like, "This ruins this opera for me," and I never want to hear this opera ever again. I'm gonna have to screen grab it and post it. That's fucked up on the Instagram page. She can't have nothing, huh? No. Nothing. No, nobody can have nice things around me because... I mean, how wholesome is Italian opera? Like, I love it. It's that. great. It, it made me think of The Godfather, and then I was like, oh, let's see if it goes with this. Eric said, you know what I should do with this? Ruin it. Yeah. I'm like the kid that can't have the Legos, so he just go and smash everybody else's Lego mm, build. That makes sense. Wow. That's okay. accurate. Mm. But anyway, without further ado, oh, one more thing. Guys, make sure you download, share the episodes. You, that would be highly appreciated. Take it away, Bailey. I will. <clears throat> so, in Chicago during the 1920s, gang warfare ruled the streets. Prohibition had begun. We had Al Capone, a.k.a. Scarface. Which we will cover in depth in a later date. A later date, TBD, who had taken over for Johnny Torrio in 1925, running his bootlegging and other illegal activities, such as gambling and prostitution in Chicago. From 1924 to 1930, Chicago had a reputation for lawlessness and violence, one of the worst in the country at the time. 
Al Capone had control over most of the crime rackets in Chicago because he would just simply take care of the competition, which we all know what that means. Prohibition was the nationwide constitutional ban on the production, importation, transportation, and sale of alcoholic beverages from 1920 to 1933. This led to the rise of bootlegging, allowing the gangsters to rake in money and make connections in the city. Of course, with high-risk practices, you must have some sort of protection for your endeavors and your allies. They used tactics such as bribery, intimidation, and even execution when necessary. The temperance movement had popularized popularized the you belief okay over there? That I'm stroking out <laughs> that alcohol was the major cause of most personal and social problems and prohibition was seen as the solution to the nation's poverty crime violence and other ills how wrong they were Though Americans had never been very happy with the effects of prohibition they weren't really clamoring to do anything about it Prohibition had made millionaire celebrities out of gangsters like Al Capone and turned the nation's justice system into a cesspit of corruption. But people tolerated the situation because they counted on the bootleggers to get them their booze and because almost all the related violence was of the gangster-on-gangster variety. But the slaughter of seven men with gruesome photos flung nationwide in newsprint proved too much to stomach for many. They put this shit all over the front pages. Yikes. Because it was like a wake-up call to the country. Like, hey, this is what gang violence is. Mm. It was very similar to, like, Bugsy Siegel. Like, they slapped his Swiss cheese body all over everything. Swiss cheese body. I mean, it was... You you weren't here for that episode, but it was, like... It was very sad what happened. He was, like, Swiss cheese the fuck up. Jeez. So Valentine's Day 1929 began like most other wintry mornings in Chicago with gray skies and frigid air. A light snow like confectioner's sugar powdered the city's sidewalks. Bakers and florists got up early to prepare for the rush of holiday customers. All over the city, children put the finishing touches on the cards for their friends before leaving for school. Around 10.30 a.m. on February 14th, 1929, four men approached George Bugs Moran's warehouse at 2122 North Clark Street. Two were dressed as police officers, and the other two looked like normal, well-dressed civilians, while the driver wore an expensive chinchilla and a gray fedora. They were there on business. However, not the kind of business that's usually handled when the sun is up. The six men inside the warehouse were affiliated with known gang leader George Moran and his North Side gang. One of the men, Reinhard Schwimmer, wasn't actually a gang member. He was an optometrist who liked the appeal of having underworld friends. The other men inside were a mix of killers, embezzlers, and robbers, as well as a German shepherd named Highball. A real rogues gallery, except for the German shepherd. <laughs> his name was Highball, so... He was a little rogue. At least it wasn't eight ball. He earned his game. God. <laughs> I was going to say he earned or his speed ball. but Jeez. All of them answered to George Moran, and none of them expected anything out of the ordinary on that February morning. 
Outside, the four unidentified men had been waiting for a signal from their lookout. When a man named Albert Weinshank, a nightclub owner, who they may have mistaken for George Moran himself, entered the building, the four men got the signal to move in. With that, the St. Valentine's Day massacre was underway. No one knows exactly what happened in the warehouse. Were George Moran's men surprised? Did they shrug it off as a police parade? Regardless of what they thought it was, they did what they were told. Well, these guys posed as cops. Like, that that's very fucking apparent. Like, from what I can tell, like, and we'll get into it later, how they were killed tells me that they were under the assumption that it was police. Like, they were lined up against a wall. <clears throat> mostly with their backs turned. Probably thinking they were about to get searched, right? Probably. Yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, this is just fucking shakedown. And it was a lot more than a shakedown. It was a shoot up. So, um, like you said, the seven men lined up against the wall, their backs to the intruders. Then the strangers raised their guns. The men were holding Thompson submachine guns, better known as Tommy guns, and a 12-gauge shotgun and opened fire. Bullets sprayed across the line of George Moran's men. Blood was spattering, bones were breaking, and punching into the brick wall behind them. Meanwhile, Highball howled, but thankfully was spared from the bullets and was later found by police alive and tied to a car bumper nearby. And he went on to be the best drug dog in Chicago. Did he? No. Oh. <laughs> I have no clue. But that would be a great end to the story. It would be. Happy ending. If we were at the ending. Yeah. So the attack was over as quickly as it started. The killers left the building and disappeared into the wind. Back in the warehouse, six of George Moran's men lay dead. Albert Kachelik, Adam Heyer, Albert Weinshank, Reinhardt Schwimmer, John May, and Peter Gusenberg. A man named Frank Gusenberg was rushed to a Chicago hospital, alive, but with 14 gunshot wounds. It makes me think that they're like Jewish mafia or something with all like the Weisenberg <laughs> and Weinshank and just... Are we not going to talk about the 14 gunshot wounds? This man is like damn Swiss cheese. It's like a cockroach. You can't F kill him. 50 Cent don't have shit on him. <laughs> oh my God. So when the police asked him who shot him, he had a surprising answer. He said, no one shot me. Frank, a well-known local gangster, was either determined to adhere to the criminal's code of silence or terrified of whoever he knew to be behind the attack. Three hours later, he was dead. When Frank died, he became the final victim of what, of what has come to be known as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Possibly the most infamous mob hit in history. The likely target, however, escaped the massacre entirely. George Moran himself never made it to the warehouse that morning. But with everyone dead and no witnesses, concrete details about the shooting remain few and far between. To this day, we really just have the grisly photos of the St. Valentine's Day massacre to give us some insight as to what exactly happened inside that warehouse. The investigation into the St. Valentine's Day Massacre focused primarily on a rival Chicago mobster, Al Capone. Even though Al had been in Florida at the time, he had a wide reach. Likely <clears throat> alibi. 
likely story. Al also had a well-known vendetta against George. George had no doubts about who was responsible. Only Capone kills like that, he said. Moreover, the hit reeked of Al's distinct style, which would also explain why Frank Gusenberg refused to say who shot him and everyone else that day. When authorities reached Al at his home in Florida for a comment on the St. Valentine's Day massacre, he said, the only man who kills like that is Bugs Moran. For most of the decade before the massacre. Which is like fucked up, honestly. It's like genius because he's like, well, only Bugs Moran would put a hit out like that. That's that's just cruel. It's like at the same time, it's like. Well, I'm doing it. But they were bugs men, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they were fucking rats. Maybe. Dirty rats. Maybe that's why he wouldn't talk. Because he found out. He fucked around and he found out. Mm-hmm. So, for most of the decade before the massacre, Bugs, who was George, and Al Capone ran bitterly opposing gangs in Chicago. George Moran's men were Irish Northsiders. Al Capone's were Italian Southsiders. So they were Irish, not Jewish. Maybe Jewish Irish. Could Say be. that three times fast. Jewish Irish, Jewish Irish, Jewish Irish. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I don't think. Maybe I did it. I don't know. Jewish Irish, Jewish Irish, Jewish Irish. Does the I need to be good, like Irish Jewish? Irish Jewish, Irish Jewish, Irish Jewish. See, that sounds worse well with names like Weisenberg and shit it's like (laughs) yeah that that doesn't sound very irish to me it's like no it's not like their names were patio o'lucky or some shit like patio lucky (laughs) (laughs) do we have any listeners that are irish like from ireland we do well they're gonna be fucking pissed nah (laughs) (laughs) they're used to this shit All right, so... We love you guys from from (laughs) Ireland. (laughs) They got good accents. The two men clashed, often violently, over control of the city in the 1920s, especially when it came to bootlegging booze. In September 1926, Bugs and his men escalated the growing conflict when they drove past a hotel where Al and his men were eating and sprayed the building with more than a thousand bullets. God damn. That's crazy. Yet somehow Al That's overkill is what that is. Somehow Al escaped unharmed. Eventually, upon hearing that Bugs had put a fifty thousand dollar bounty on his head, I wonder what that translates to in today money. Uh let's Google it. Worth Christian. a Google. I want, it. I want it. I'll be the soundboard. Worth the Google. It's worth a Google. <laughs> I'm just gonna like use my toe to hit this the soundboard buttons from now on. <laughs> just but like just click ones that you don't even know what it's gonna say and just see what happens i'm not doing that right now why i don't know what page it's on perfect what was it no nah, we ain't, doing, did we ain't playing that game oh fifty thousand dollars in 1929 to today yeah seven hundred fifty two thousand one hundred dollars damn that's almost a milli in 2024 mm. Cool. Wild. Well, now we know that. That's a fuck ton of money. It's almost a million dollars. And fuck the inflation on that shit. It's like That's three. Crazy. What is that? Three quarters of a million dollars? Mm, yeah. 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 
is three quarters of a million dollars from 50 grand. That's crazy. So eventually, upon hearing that Bugs had put a $50,000, so $750,000 today, bouncy on his head, Al allegedly decided that he'd had enough of the turf wars. He would strike first, and his strike would be fatal. In the weeks leading up to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, George Moran had been working on procuring a shipment of stolen Canadian whiskey, (coughs) an enterprise in which Al Capone was also heavily invested. George ran his... That's where they were getting a lot of their shit from, um, was from moonshiners and stuff in Canada. I didn't know Canada had moonshiners. They do, but they were also getting like... Because at that time, Prohibition, they were getting stuff from everywhere. But a lot of times they'd like bring it in through the Great Lakes and stuff like that and then ship it out. So when our Prohibition was happening, Canada still had alcohol, right? I believe so. Yeah. Hmm. I'm not 100% on that, but I believe so. All right. I'm sure a history buff will let us know. Yeah. But I remember like watching a documentary on bootlegging. And it was like, well, you know, they'd load up a bootlegger's trunk full of whiskeys and all sorts of shit, gin, mm. and ship it across the Great Lakes and then send it out. Interesting. Yeah, Prohibition, like, made so many people super wealthy. Well, I wish I was there. Too. Well... To be a gangster. It was super, I want to be a mob super wife. Super dangerous. Sure. I would have been so hot. All right. So anyway. <laughs> um, in the weeks. High aspirations Bailey has here. <laughs> I want to be a crime lord's wife. <laughs> I want to be rich. In the weeks leading up to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, George Moran had been working on procuring a shipment of stolen Canadian whiskey. An enterprise in which Al Capone was also heavily invested. George ran his illegal operation out of the SMC Cartage Co. garage on Clark Street, which would become the site of the impending massacre. And on the morning of February 14th, Al Capone's men would have known that they would find George's men there, and they had a motive to kill them. But it's likely that George was the ultimate target. In fact, he was at the scene, but he'd simply arrived late. Upon seeing the police car outside, he turned and walked the other way. He got a coffee and, running into one of his associates, told him to avoid the garage because it looked like the police were raiding it. All the while, George had no idea that someone had just murdered seven of his men. While he escaped, whoever killed his men had accomplished one goal. George's grip on power weakened after the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Well, yeah, like half of his crew is fucking Swiss cheese. Swiss cheese. Mm. His days as one of Chicago's top gangsters had ended. But the question of who was... also my love for Swiss cheese. (laughs) Eric ruined that one for us. But the question... At least it wasn't baby Swiss. Mm, Don't ruin baby bells for me. I love baby bell. And laughing cow. No, if you get like baby Swiss, it's got tiny holes in it. Um, Why are you ruining that for me? So, so these were really baby Swiss men, because tiny holes, bullet holes, tiny, small. I don't know how tiny they were. I mean, a bullet's pretty small. How big is a Tommy gun? Like, yeah, but you got to remember, there's massive chunks blowing oh, up. Oh, there was a shotgun involved. 
Oh, those are, that would be baby Swiss. Okay. All right. So the question of who was behind the massacre. I just really like cheese. I've tried to say this sentence three times. I know. (laughs) Three fucking times. May I? Welcome to hell. Go ahead. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. (laughs) So the question of who was behind the massacre remained. Most of the evidence does point to Al Capone. Fred Burke, a known associate of Al's, got into a car crash and killed a police officer on December 14th, 1929. That's just some bad luck. Jesus, yeah. He escaped, but police discovered guns in his home that were used in the massacre. But Fred, who was finally arrested in 1931, refused to name any names. He's like, I don't know how those guns got there. They ain't mine. (laughs) I'm just holding them for a friend. I'm I'm holding them for a guy. What? Who's the guy? I, I don't know. You didn't tell me his name. You said, hey, take these for me. <laughs> I was like, okay. Another man, allegedly a low-level gangster associated with Al, later claimed that Al had planned the hit in October or November 1928. Byron Bolton said that he had acted as a lookout on the morning of the massacre. His job was to give a signal once George Moran arrived. Damn, he fucked that up. Byron thought he saw George Moran, so he gave the signal. It's likely that he mistook Albert Weinshank for George. But was Al Capone responsible for the St. Valentine's Day massacre? Not everyone thinks so. After all, George and his men had more than one enemy. First of all, the shooters had worn police uniforms. Could the explanation simply be that it was an attack by the Chicago police? When Sergeant Thomas J. Loftus arrived at the scene, he found Frank Gusenberg alive among the carnage. Cops did it, Frank said. Of course, Frank had a good reason to think that. He had just assumed that the men in front of the garage were policemen, just as George had. Investigators initially dismissed this possibility, but later wondered if it could be sound. Apparently, George and his men had stolen bootleg liquor from a crooked cop. Could the St. Valentine's Day massacre have been retaliation? But if so, why had the attackers left money, which totaled to thousands of dollars, in the pockets of their victims? One theory pointed the finger at the Purple Gang, a Detroit-based gang with whom Al Capone had ties with. Another suggested a political motive, as Al and George had supported different candidates in a recent aldermanic election. Which is crazy because that just shows how deep the mob's ties run in politics. Because each of them are trying to get their guy in so they'll pass laws that let them continue to do their shit to make money. And then they finance the campaign, much like what goes on today in politics. That shit never ended. Don't get us killed. Yeah, don't. I'm just saying, like. Well, it was nice knowing you guys. Yeah, well, this was on, fun. Yeah, replace them. Well, it's not the mob that does it anymore. It's it's, it's corporations. Oh, okay. So corporations do that now. Hmm. So it's like, hey, if you pass these tax laws, we'll fund your campaign. Yikes! It's really fucked up. But this isn't a political podcast, so let's move on. I wish that we were all hunter-gatherers. 
with iPhones and Tinder Premium. <laughs> Valentine's Day is going to be lit for, dude, for Bailey, dude. I have no Valentine yet. Yeah, well, yeah. You got super a couple like, days. Super like, super like. Somebody sent me an edible fucking arrangement. <laughs> Get myself. Make sure there's tons of pineapple. You know what? Give me your address after this. I'm going to send you one. Is is a congratulations for being a new homeowner. Yeah. I love fruit with chocolate. Um, no honeydew for you. In though. cute shapes. So, <laughs> um, some suspected that George himself had ordered the hit, perhaps because he'd grown irritated with the Gusenberg brothers. Others thought that the Gusenberg brothers may have been the targets because they'd killed a young firefighter and his family wanted revenge. I can name 50 motives for this crime, grumbled David Stansbury, the lead investigator for the state attorney's office. And yet, investigators kept circling back to Al Capone. It wasn't only that Al had motive and means. The St. Valentine's Day massacre was violent and shocking in a way that had just become his trademark. This put significant pressure on officials to crack down on gang activity in Chicago. In many ways, the massacre marked the beginning of the end of a certain Wild West period in the underworld of Chicago, even the country as a whole. From coast to coast, people suddenly seemed to be reaching the conclusion that a line had been crossed, that the violence had just become too much to bear. But still, Al Capone was never charged in connection with the massacre. Though back in 1924, there were about 16 other gang-related murders with the same M.O., where Al was just taking care of the competition. He's leveling the playing field. But Al Capone did get caught eventually, but it wasn't for what you'd think. But like I said, we'll cover that in a later date. Um, What's crazy about this is not long after this, they just ended prohibition. I mean, they made it 13 years. That's pretty to try, try to keep people sober and not doing I would I, I should have gave more of a preface when I originally did notes on like the prohibition movement and shit but we'll like I said we'll make up for that at a later date um, I just find this case so interesting and so horrific that like how they killed those people it was just nuts so do you guys think that it was al capone or do you think that it was i I, I definitely think it was al capone i don't you don't what do you think um i think he was just an easy scapegoat because he was in the mob scene and was an easy one because he was so big but i think it probably was somebody smaller Trying to make a name for themselves or, or some sending shit. a message. Mm, just, just send a message. Well, that would be... That's why I think it was Al Capone. It was... Uh, or a competing gang that he was not... Because, I mean, he was what? Al Capone was the Italians. The Italians and Irish did not get along. And I do understand that the gang that, you know... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Moran? Yeah. A lot of the people that, like you said, were all their last names. Like, they're all, like, Jewish last names. So, and the Italians and the Irish, they really... Well, I mean, they at least sound Jewish. I don't know. But the Italians and Irish really, really didn't get along when it came to, like, during Prohibition. And 
they kind of just seem like a scapegoat. Like, oh, it's the Italians versus the Irish. I, I really feel like just that it was crime on crime. Yeah, I feel like it really. It, I don't. I don't think it was Al Capone because it it isn't his killing style, but it's like, I, who I can. Th- who, here's what I think it is. Okay. Because he was conveniently in Florida and had an alibi. Okay. So I was in Florida. I, I had nothing to do with this. What are you talking about? Well, I think I don't know. I think I tried to Google uh the if the men were or if if like I just Googled were George Moran's men Jewish. Um and I I didn't really find much, but it does say that he had a nickname. Just kidding. I fucking read it wrong. <laughs> Bugsy Shacklestein. Me, I'm stupid. <laughs> Me, I'm so stupid. What do you think, Bailey? You think it was Al Capone like, yeah. put the hit out? Yeah. I, I think, think it's like the most likely story is that it was Al Capone. But Occam's I also razor. think like. If you apply Occam's razor to it, the, the most logical explanation is normally it. Yeah. But I also think like it would be interesting if it was a different thing but i think that people try to overcomplicate things because they want to, them to be more interesting so yeah I, I think this was al capone was pissed off at bugsy moran moran oh this is gonna be interesting moran and capone led a turf war with each other that cost them both moran's hatred of capone was apparent even in the public moran was disgusted with capone engaged in prostitution wow so that was like one of his biggest like because I did read that he was like, mm, I super like super Catholic. religious, yeah, he was Catholic. Super Catholic. Well, that, yeah, that'd do it. And Bugsy or uh, Al Capone's like, I I'm going to get some hookers. <laughs> he was well, fucking. I mean, for fuck's sake, he died of syphilis. Oh, did he? Yeah. Wow. He like went crazy. He thought he was like a. <laughs> he had the mind of like a toddler. When, wow. When he when he finally died. But he wore mink. Not the syph. <sighs> Get well, you every if syphilis, time. If syphilis goes untreated, it like eats your brain, which is wow. what happened to Adolf Hitler too. Did you just compare Adolf Hitler to? Al well, they both, <laughs> they, they both had syphilis. I thought Adolf Hitler was. I don't know what I thought. They. they I didn't they, really listen in history class. I was in AP fucking history, and I still didn't fucking listen. We're gonna we're gonna talk after this. Why? Are you gonna yell at me? <laughs> you look so fucking like history. Like you're gonna great. Like discipline me. <laughs> you look angry. <laughs> like history class is important. We're gonna have a talk after this. Yeah. Like you got some history channel to watch after this, lady. We're gonna watch World War Two in color <laughs> in about ten minutes. No more dinner for you. <laughs> no more dinners till you watch like history channel from the nineties. You like hold up plate in front of my face and you're like, watch it. <laughs> yeah. Here's some popcorn. Sit down. It's like the scene from uh, Clockwork Orange where they have like the eye hooks where they just keep their eyes open the entire time. I've never seen that. Uh, never a- seen Clock. I don't watch fucking movies. We've been through this so many times. Well, you need to start. Okay. I'm you reference them a lot. You just need to start coming over here for movie night. Yes. Do you? Th- are there single women in this world who just like sit at home and watch movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got better things to do. Like swipe left and right. You could do that while you're watching the fucking movie. No, because then I wouldn't fucking retain anything. I'm ADHD over here. 
All right, crush up an Adderall and then come watch some movies with us. <laughs> I can't. Well, anyway, guys, thank you for listening to Creeps in the Crypt. Um, Christian, drop the socials. Guys, come on. Let's be really real. Let's get intimate with it. Let's just Ooh. like really. Wow. Let's like Bailey all, on Tinder. Yeah. Let's really just like get to know each other. Super like And by us. I mean that, I need you guys to absolutely <laughs> obliterate that like button. You like just it's killed me. Like it's your like it's your life. Just fuck the like button. Just absolutely fuck it. Um we love you guys so much and thank you so much for your kind words and love and we just we just thank you guys so much and the downloads have made our day. It just kind of takes our mind off of everything that's going on. So keep those up. Um, make sure you guys are commenting and sharing the show. The sharing the show is the way to help us. And then also making sure that you guys are letting us know what you guys want to hear. Because, I mean, we all three, four can all come up with shit. But, I mean, if you, we don't hear what you guys want to hear, then that doesn't really mean anything. So we're just kind of stabbing in the dark. Yeah, we're just kind of throwing a dart and hoping we're, it we're just shooting up a garage. 14 gangsters at a time. Oh, my God. It's and a on that note, massacre. guys, there's only. Well, we're massacring the list of serial killers this year. Woo. Woo. So we're, we're going to burn through some heavy hitters. I'm excited. Coming up. Hell yeah, brother. I'm excited. She's a 10, but she says, hell yeah, brother, unironically. <laughs> Raise hell, praise Dale. Yeah. Oh my God, that is my favorite. That's how I love Shake and bake, baby. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Uh, so, anyway, stay creepy. Stay spooky. Stay strange. And as Sam would say, stay safe. Thank you, guys. <laughs>